this episode, I catch up with Alicia English. Alicia is an author out of the Bay Area, and we talk about her new book, which is entitled, I Wrote This to Heal. Because sometimes when you're healing, all you really have is me, myself, and I. I'm Jared Carpenter, and this is Wi-Fi and Water. Alicia English, welcome to Wi-Fi and Water. How are you? I'm wonderful. How are you? <laughs> I am wonderful as well. Thank you for asking. So I'm excited to have you on the pod because tonight we're going to talk about healing and your journey with healing and about some of the art and creativity you've been putting out around topics of healing, especially at a time, you know, when I was like, hey, Alicia, you want to come on? You're like, okay, sure. And I was like, well, I think it's a really appropriate time to talk about healing because of how much suffering. And I think with the pandemic, there's a societal, a collective kind of pain, maybe, you know, in the United States, we've lost 500,000 plus people to a virus in less than a year. We're coming up on like the middle of March when really in the West or, you know, in the United States and Europe, where we really started to kind of go inside for a year. Now that we're a year, I'm catching you at like the end of the pandemic or not the end of the, you know, the year I anniversary. I hope it's the end. I right. really, I like <laughs> really pray that it is the end. Cause I like everyone else, I'm just over it. And you're right. It's, it's more that I feel like we're just experiencing right now or what we just experienced is a very significant collective trauma. And it's something that's impacted us all individually, but we're just so adaptable as humans it's something really beautiful as humans we are resilient by default actually like our bodies adapt for us to heal and to survive so literally even our scars turn into something beautiful right but the reality is if we're not actually taking the time to look at look at what's underneath the scar and lift it it's not actually healed right it's maybe covered up maybe we put a tattoo over it or whatever and i think that's kind of what we've been doing in covid is like forgetting almost that this is a traumatic event and experience and it is leaving an imprint on who we are as a society. It is leaving an impact on humanity. It is leaving an imprint, impact, like imprint on how we relate as human beings. So for me, I just, when I say I'm over it, <laughs> I say that from, I realize that sounds really privileged, but I am over it. And I hope that it is something that we can look back at from a place of what were the lessons that came from this period? Like, and what was the pain that we actually have to still acknowledge? How did it shift us? How did it change the way that we're engaging with each other? And what are the things that we're avoiding? What are the things we adapted to so that we could survive? And when I say adapt, I really mean numb. Like I think a lot of it is numbing, especially the first part of this COVID. I was having a lot of wine. I was having a lot of wine. I was smoking a lot of weed. <laughs> like I was just coping, right? But that's not actually, it, it wasn't actually, um, it's what I needed to do to just survive in it, but it wasn't actually paying attention and staying awake and um, sitting with some of the pain that was actually happening internally, you know, so. Sorry, that was a lot. <laughs> no, no, that was that was perfect. And I didn't even have to like kind of throw you an alley-oop. You just took it and ran. And I and I actually mixed up my words. I didn't mean to say it's over. What I meant to like kind of get into is we're now coming up on a year anniversary of having been 
in this new way of life, which is for me, and I'm sure for you, pick your closest friends that are physically, like geographically near you. You're going to create a little bubble and then you're only going to see those people. And if your family isn't a part of it, you're not going to see them. And if your best friend isn't a part of it, you're not going to see that person because this is the way we've had to like cope. And so throughout this year, how has that influenced your work on healing and the trajectory of your work on healing? Like with 90% of it thought before the year, and then you were just doing it, you know, creating creating poetry, creating writings throughout the year? Or did the pandemic really kind of almost kick it into overdrive as a mechanism to help you cope? Because I remember in March reading the stat, it was like alcohol sales have gone up by 50%. And I totally think we're, you know, as in human beings, we're all normally in like three different stages or three different, not stages, but three different kind of spaces and their survival addiction and denial. And if you can engage with those spaces and get out of those spaces, you're going to be a happier person. We've all kind of been surviving. Some of us, you know, were using substances or whatever it was. I know, and I guarantee you probably have to, but I've, you know, binged for 10 hours on Netflix and you go into a dark place and you're just like, next, next. You don't have to say next because, you know, Netflix just pushes you through. And so over this time, how has it influenced your poetry and your writing? So, oh, I should give some context. So I I wrote a book called I Wrote This to Heal. (laughs) I just realized that. I was like, oh, yeah. And it's actually something that, well, there's a few things. One, I think healing isn't something that I think is linear by any means. And I say that because my journey is still ongoing. So, and I think that's really important to note because there's a lot of books, a lot of content, I will say in general, where I think people can position themselves as these experts as like, I have arrived. And I just don't think that is the case at all with healing work. It is constant. And it's like, it's a cycle of just constantly deepening. So I say that to say that this book in many ways had written itself pre-pandemic. And I think what the pandemic did was actually create the space for me to look at these pieces and this thing that I had been wanting to do for so long in a new way. So some of them, actually a few of them were written, quite a few actually were written during the pandemic, but a lot of them are pieces that I wrote at different moments. There's one piece that I wrote when I was 12 and it was about boobs and growing boobs. And I just like found it in an old journal because I've been writing since I was a kid, but I've, I've never actually really shared it publicly. And so, yeah, I, all that to say, I think writing has always been a way for me to cope with changes. I think writing has always been a way for me to emote and to express and to find the language and actively carve out the space to process things that I don't always make room for. It is my moment to pause. And that moment to pause, I think is really, really important in healing because we have to pause and listen to what is actually going on inside of ourselves and remove the noise. And I think everyone has a different modality for healing. There's a different space where you're sort of in that flow state or in that state of like, oh, okay, (laughs) like, like this is it. Like you were mentioning soccer, right? Like, whether it's like physical movement or activity, like dance, like um, even even being social with other people create, for me, creation and writing is a huge one, like creating content, writing. 
And so much of my inspiration comes from experiences with other people, romantic experiences. I think in this book, there's a lot of reflections on just becoming a more sovereign being, you know, and becoming more independent, becoming someone who is really comfortable with being alone and doesn't feel the need to be in partnership to feel a sense of fulfillment. Like that has been a big part of this journey. And I think this book captures a lot of that and not just in the like, yay, we've got it figured out moments. A lot of them were written in the ones that are more intimate and frankly, that I'm more nervous about sharing were written in um, some of those lower moments where it was like, we aren't coming. We're not writing this from a place of healing. We're writing this from a place of pain, which there's no healing without acknowledging the pain that we're carrying. So yeah, I bounced around a lot. <laughs> Sorry, I do this. My no, brain is a little like, <laughs> a little no, it's active. good. It's good. It's you're, you're kind of in the flow as you talk about your work and what it means to you and the inspirations. I'm always fascinated by people's inspirations for creating content, whatever it is. Going back to what you were talking about as a society where we've been dealing with this traumatic experience, it's been interesting to see the way social media deals with it. Yeah. Because I'd say for every time somebody comes out and says, hey, you know what? I just lost somebody. It was traumatic. I don't know how to deal with it. There's 99 memes about working from home. There's 99 memes. And that's what we often do. And I, it's something I've had to deal with as I grow up, realizing that a lot of my kind of push to make people laugh or to try to be funny or to lean into comedy instead of maybe leaning into a truth or leaning into something mm. else. And I've kind of seen people deal with that in real time, you know, when yeah. you're sharing a meme and it's like, oh, working from home again or whatever it is. Yeah. And it's, and I think it's, I don't know. It's, it seems to me to be another survival mechanism more than anything yeah. as far as that content side. And so I think it is really great to have someone like you that's creating content about healing. But like you said, many times it comes from a place of, yeah, I was in pain, but that allowed me, that acknowledgement allowed me to get through to another place. As you look forward with this book, how do you think it's going to be received? Oh, geez. It's so funny you ask this because I just got the physical copies of the book this weekend and it was super gratifying, right? Like it's, it feels so good to hold this thing that you have been dreaming of creating and manifesting for a long time. And it was terrifying because I was like, oh, this is really going out in the world. How will it be received? And I actually, I write about it a little bit in the beginning around just some of my own fear around sharing this publicly. Um, and, and frankly, like, I can't care. I can't care because it's not actually for anyone else. Like I wrote this for me. It's literally called, I wrote this to heal. I wrote it for my own healing. And I hope that it resonates with someone. Like I hope there's someone who picks it up and sees a piece where they see themselves or it's affirming or, or something. But I, I can't like, I, I just, for my own sanity, I literally can't concern myself, which is really hard because I'm, I want to know, and I'm curious, but I like, I'm not famous at all, 
but not like yet. I think of not not yet, but not no, yet. <laughs> I'm not famous. But like I think about that a lot. Like if I were, would I be the type of person who would read through the comments? Because I do really value community and conversation, and I do actually fundamentally care about people. And caring about people, but not being preoccupied with their opinions. I'm sensitive too. So I'm like, oh, I, I think I might be too sensitive to really know, to really know, like to really hear some of it, especially with this one, because it is so personal. Like it's so personal and it's so intimate. And I agree with you. Like there's this thing with social media when people, when we share things, it gives people this permission to comment on you, to comment on your life into what you're sharing. And it's so fascinating because I feel like that's increased even more in the pandemic. Like I'll be on phone calls with people and they'll be like, oh yeah, I saw on Instagram or I saw you, like, it's so strange. And I'm like, but you don't actually really know what's going on in my life or cause I posted this thing. I guess I'm kind of welcoming. <laughs> I'm welcoming commentary, but it's something I struggle with. Anyway, all that to say with this book, I, I am, I'm nervous to share it and because I'm nervous to share it and because I know and have named what some of my fears are in sharing it, I, my way of reclaiming that fear is by just sharing it without being concerned, you know, like, I don't know, whatever, we'll see what happens. I hope it's well received. I know there are going to be pieces that might, some people might feel uh, some kind of way about, you know, <laughs> there's like, it's, but it's honest. Like, I can't say that it's the best thing that's ever been written, but it's honest. It's true. And for me, truth trumps everything. Oh, I feel weird saying Trump now. Trump means something different now, but truth over everything. Truth is, truth is supreme, I think. What's the, and I'm also trying to suss out as I hear you talk, is it nervousness or is it anxiety? Because I think those are two separate emotions. Yeah. But I, I don't know. Is it maybe one or the uh, other? And then is there a certain piece that you're nervous and or anxious or both? Yeah. To have people kind of, you know, it's like Wizard of Oz when you put out something that's that personal. Like they're going to get to see behind the curtain and kind of yeah. see the see the great Oz. Yeah, uh, that is correct. I, it's a good question. <laughs> I think probably there might be some anxiety in there. Now that you mention it, there might be a little anxiety. And when I think about it, there's things more logistically and operationally that I need to do. And I know exactly, like I know how to do them. I know what they are and I keep putting them off. And I think that actually is some like anxiety actually. Oh, like, I just need to set up the store on Squarespace. I know exactly how to do it. Like, I just need to do it, <laughs> you know? So it's just, it's like little things like that because I'm managing the distribution on my own. I just wanted to be able to sign every copy and, you know, like make it really personal. I don't want to sell on like Amazon or anything like that unless if I get famous and I have like 3 million books <laughs> that are being sold where I can't manage it on my own or independently. But yeah, I wanted it to feel really intimate because it's an intimate book. So even I think I also think things just carry energy. So even when I am physically signing something and packaging it, I like to believe that it's a little piece of my energy that's going to be passed, you know, through the mail, like through the envelope and people might be able to feel it and receive it in a different way. But yeah, nervous pieces. There are there are pieces 
there are pieces about exes, there are pieces about past experiences. And I think those are the ones that I'm most nervous about sharing. And that one's not anxiety, it's just like nerves because they're about people that I cared about or care about a lot and just like nervous to share. So, and, but it's not about the other person, right? Like that's where I had to really examine that because I'm like, oh, I don't wanna hurt anyone. I just don't wanna like rub anyone the wrong way. And that's so in my nature to be so concerned with other people where I'm literally like, I can't, like that is the whole point of writing this book. It's not about anybody else. Like I'm not centering other people's feelings. I'm not centering other people's emotions. I'm not tiptoeing around other people's needs in this. It's really about just what, I'm experiencing and what I'm feeling. And that's not really, my feelings aren't really up for debate. You know, how I feel is not my lived experiences and my voice is not up for debate or, so yeah, there's some anxiety, there is some anxiety in that because that's new for me, like, but it is, it's about stepping into that a little more actively and just feeling more confident in that. And I think there's like this thin line between feeling selfish and caring for others. And I think I can over-index on caring for others a little more and feel like when I do things for myself or honor myself, then I'm always worried, is this selfish? And it's not, it's just like self-care maybe. I don't know. <laughs> can an act both be, and I don't know if there's an answer. I'm just like thinking this as you're saying, so yeah, it's yeah. great. Can an act both be selfish and for others, or is it a mutually mm. exclusive thing? And what I mean is it's a good question. It's a yeah, good, what I mean is yeah. in a healing of a trauma, if you have a partner and you're working on your healing, that could be seen as a selfish thing. But if it were to also a rising tide lifts all boats and help that relationship, it could also be for someone else because you want to show up better yeah. for someone else. You want to put your oxygen mask on before you're able to help someone else. Do you think this book is maybe kind of like that for you? It is. Yeah. It is my oxygen mask for sure. And it's just a new way of being, you know, I, I feel like I've always admired, especially women that are really unapologetic in just who they are. And I think there, there might be that perception of me. Like, I think people might see me in that way, but I know when I'm coming from an authentic place and speaking in an authentic voice. And I, I have to, like, if I'm honest, this book is not the first time, but it's the first time in a very public way that I've done that. Because my background is in theater. I was like a theater kid, like an actress, you know? So all of that is my training. And in some of that, there is like, you're, there's mask. Like I'm used to playing roles of other people and sort of bringing other people's stories to life. And I love that. Like, I love that experience. But this one is really about my own. And it's interesting because with, with writing, I've thought about this a lot, like this book, I felt like I could write because it's my own. I don't yet feel confident writing the stories of other people because I think that's just like a huge responsibility. Like I can write my own story, but I, I, if I'm writing someone else's, I just really want to honor it and make sure that I know what I'm talking about and where it's coming from and it's contextualized, you know, so. I think as a content creator, which I now definitely consider myself, you not are. only with this podcast, but with the soccer podcast, and they're both completely totally. different podcasts, and I have different hats that I put on for each one. Yeah. I think it's a super thin line that we have to walk with, like, not giving a 
what other people say about it. Like, oh, we hated that podcast or, oh, that was whack. But also having the humility and showing empathy and trying to learn and still engage with them in the comments and show up and say, you know what? Well, this is my truth. Why doesn't that resonate with you? And kind of put it back in their court. But I think it's such a thin line when you're putting yourself out there to like have to do it under the mindset of, I don't, not that I don't care. I just can't take other people's opinions into my creative process because it's not, that's not going to add value to me as a creator. But at the same time, realize that what they may be saying, even though I may be construing it as a personal attack or negative could actually somehow add value to me, not only in the short term, but definitely in the long term. Yeah. And there's like, it's a really, it's a really difficult thing to deal with. Cause I've gotten for different pods that I've done with this and with the soccer podcast, people have come out and been like, Hey, like, come on, man. Like that's whack. Or your opinion on that is that, but I'm like, Hey, you know what? It's like, it's my opinion. And it's your I, opinion. Yeah. It's my opinion. And that's like, that's in my contextual experience-based truth. Yeah. And it's interesting the way that we all, you know, there's 8 billion worlds on the planet and they all kind of interact with each other in a different way. And thinking about that, you know, like relating it to your book, you know, when I, when I try to create a podcast or I'm doing something in my mind, sometimes it will come into like, I think this podcast, for example, the podcast we're doing right now, we're going to talk about doing a podcast. We're mm-hmm. literally recording, but yeah, yeah. It's, it's, meta. it's super meta. So meta. We're getting really <laughs> deep, but it's like in doing my it. mind, somebody will come across this on the internet and it will say learning to heal Alicia English and somebody who's had some trauma or is just interested in looking into a new podcast. Gonna be like, All right, they're going to click on it. When you wrote the book, I know you you're saying you totally wrote it for yourself, but did you ever think like, is there, you know, for every piece of content, I do believe like there's a person where it's going to resonate the most with, mm. do you have a demographic or, yeah. somebody in mind? Is it a man? Is it a woman? Is it more gender fluid? Is it yeah. from this country, but not from that country? Is there a, is there a way in which you think the book will kind of resonate more? And I say that thinking about Junot Diaz's writing, because mm-hmm. that book for Latino men and Latino women, like hits, it hits and mm-hmm. other people could read it and they're going to catch a vibe. Like they'll get it, but it was, you know, it's for a specific yeah Yeah, it's like dominican new york this was our experience growing up as men this is the mask we wore this is and so for you and you talked about the masks and i love that analogy and it's easier for you to maybe you know tell your own story than maybe tell others because the responsibility is this book do you ever think about that like does that come into your train of thought like yeah you know what i think this is going to hit for this person yeah i i love that reference And part of why I realized that it would hit for people is I shared it. So I didn't do this book by myself. I worked with my friend, um, Michelle is the designer of the book. She designed the whole thing. We went to grad school together. She's one of my very best friends. My sister is like my best friend in the universe since forever. And my friend, Lori, uh, who I also went to grad school with, who is an incredible illustrator and artist. And I shared it with them before I was like really sure that I was going to do this. And they were like, you have to do this. Like, you have to share this. And they just shared the impact that it had on them and the ways that it moved them. And that made me feel like, okay, I guess there's something here. 
you know, this means something. And I, I think part of it could be because, yes, there are people that are close to me and know me well and want to support me and affirm me and things that I do. But I also think that they are the type of people who are very direct and, and also honest with me. So that was meaningful. And those are all women. So I like to me, I think as a Black woman in America, I think a lot of the pieces are literally, there's literally a piece called For Black Women. Um, and I think a lot of pieces will resonate with Black women, but I think it'll also resonate with just women, women mostly, women and those who identify as women who have experienced, who have experienced any kind of like transformation or any kind of growth into just their own embodiment that's where I was when I wrote this. For example, like one of the pieces, frankly, that I'm like more nervous slash anxious about sharing is called Plan B. And it's about taking a Plan B, you know, after having <laughs> unprotected sex with someone, you know, and just that experience and what that was like for me. And I don't, I've, I don't, I haven't read many things like that, but I know that I am not the only person, like these are conversations that I have and know that I'm not the only person who has had that experience at all. It's just not something that I've seen a story reflected back. And it's not to say it doesn't exist, but to just like name it explicitly, like this was the experience and what it felt like. Yeah, that's very specific to, <laughs> to, to that experience, you know, as a woman and, um, there are a few pieces like that. And then I think there's some that are more universal. Like, I think there are some pieces that are just universal expressions of just deepening into self-understanding, self-growth, self-reflection and healing, you know. But yeah, target demographic, it's not intentional, but I think my guess is that it will mostly speak to Black women and femmes primarily is my guess. Transitioning kind of away from the writing piece you talked about earlier the importance of having spaces and little times to kind of sit, be with self, be with one, be present, maybe like actually hear what's going on. I find myself so in a screen all day, whether I'm working from home or even the creative process of creating a podcast is very screen heavy. I'm looking at yeah. a screen for hours. If a podcast is editing out, too, right? Like it's yeah. the conversation and then you're like editing and yeah. Exactly. And if this, you know, if a podcast is an hour and I edit it and I have to look at something, you know, it could be five to six hours to edit, to edit a podcast. And that's easy. Like normally it's gone up to 10. It just depends on the, and so I find myself constantly in front of screens, but when I step away and I think we've all done this in the pandemic where it's like, I've never gone on more walks in my life. Why would I go on a mm -hmm. walk? You know, I used to just like be out and about and then I'm outside, but now we have to like force ourselves, I think, to kind of go and be with self and just even yeah. just walk around, but not have headphones on, not be listening to a podcast. Like and, be present. Yeah. Be uber present. And I think that's a scary thing for everyone, myself included, just to be uber present. Cause then you start to hear your thoughts and you're like, oh damn, like, okay. <laughs> Those are some scary thoughts. It depends. My, some of mine, I was like, yeah, I feel you. Like <laughs> some, Sometimes they're great. And that's where you get yeah. crazy creative inspiration. You're like, oh yeah. yeah, I see that differently. Now that I've thought about it and I tried to see it from a different perspective, but talk to us about, or, you know, talk to me about what joy breaks are and what that is. Because I think it's a, it seems to me, and I want to hear from you, but what I get is it's kind of like connect with Alicia <laughs> a very intentional time to just connect with Alicia. Connect no. 
talk, <laughs> what, so, so yeah. talk to me about I mean, not connect with Alicia, but connect with other people in an intentional okay. way. And I'm just like facilitating the experience. So ah, okay, I, okay. yeah, I love facilitation. Like it's a weird thing. I used to be a teacher. So I think that's part of where it comes from, but I started doing a lot more facilitation with adults and like learning experiences more professionally and just loved it. Like I love bringing people together. I love, I always like cheese. I was a theater teacher. So, you know, I'm corny. I'm like, yeah, like always loved the cheesy icebreakers, like creative ways and just fascinated in how people gather, how people convene, how people actually develop into intimacy and connection. And I think especially, so Joy Breaks really came about during the pandemic because in the beginning, especially it was like, we still want to stay connected. I'm feeling isolated. I'm, I am, like you were saying, like, I am tired of sitting alone with my thoughts. Like it's too much. I want to be in community with others and in really creative ways and expansive ways and ways that allow me to see myself in someone else and their humanity and their experience. And in that also understand and learn something about who I am and feel closer to another person. Like I think we were craving that so much. So that's really where Joy Breaks came from. And it's also interesting because like the word joy now, when I was thinking of Joy Breaks, felt very different. Like it, it, it has become, I, I don't know if you've noticed this, but I feel like in the last six to seven months, I have seen joy everywhere, like in stores, it feels like a brand thing now. So it doesn't, it's not like hitting for me in the same way. Like, I feel like it's almost becoming this commercial thing. Like people are like commercializing joy. Do you know what I'm talking? Have you noticed this? Like, so, so there was an article. Thing. Yeah. There was an article that came out last year, April, May, and I'd have to dig it up. But essentially what it was, was get ready to be gaslit by corporate consumer America. They're about to tell you it's the summer, the pandemic's going to go away. And what they need is for you to go out and spend money. Mm -hmm. And the article is basically about how we need to lift people's spirits. This has been a very dark time. When the pandemic started, I mean, it was just a hit to the head on everybody. It was just brutal. It happened almost overnight. Okay, now you got to stay inside. Okay, now mm -hmm. thousands of people are unemployed. Mm -hmm. Now thousands of people can't see one another. And I remember reading this article is like, get ready to be gaslit by corporate and consumer America because the gap models that are like happy, that are like running down the beach that like, you know, they caught the perfect image in slow-mo and they all have abs for some reason. That's about to be like stepped up by 10 times. And so I think that maybe that's wow. where that comes from. Yeah, and if maybe. You, yeah, and if you watch commercials wow. now, commercials are constantly, as far as I understand, like commercials are constantly being made to keep up with the times. Now this style is in, now that style is in. If we're just thinking about fashion, there's 52 weeks in fast fashion. So they're constantly having to come up with commercials. So I'm like, these people are going through a pandemic. They're on set in a pandemic with masks on as soon as they get off the set. So like, this is the, the front of happiness, like Bow Wow Challenge levels, like <laughs> next levels. And so I, I, maybe that's where that comes from, because I don't know, I, started to look now, especially with Facebook, we're always bombarded by all of these things and by this and by that. I'm just like, no one is that happy. Like, no. and, and it used to be like, okay, you could say, okay, like no one's that happy. No one's a cruise director. And like, unless they're taking like crazy drugs or whatever to, to right. be up at that level. And then you have to come down. But now I'm like, everyone's like, there's not a human being on the earth that hasn't gone through the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So I never thought of joy as being like a brand or being on brand. 
think it's because I don't know. It could just it's just something I've noticed. Like I saw I grabbed it. I haven't even looked at this. This was maybe two or three months ago. I don't even know. Like what is time anymore? Like time is a joke <laughs> at this point. But there was a it was on a Time magazine and it was like the importance of joy. And there's all these studies about joy. And it's just, I just feel like it's like, I'm just seeing it everywhere. And and I, it's not a bad thing. I actually, I do think there's a difference between joy and happiness. And this is a weird, I, I, I don't know where this comes from or like why I believe this, but I kind of, I joke a lot, but like happiness feels like for white people. <laughs> and I feel like for me, joy is, Actually, when you were talking about humor and the ways that we survive throughout, I think there is an inherent healing power actually in joy that comes from, from Black folks, especially like from Black and Brown people. Like our joy is like, is resistance. It's literally like, okay, y'all trying to get us down. You want me to be oppressed. You want me to feel oppressed, don't you? Okay, I'm gonna make a meme out of it. Like. That's why I don't even do Twitter that much, but I love looking at like curated feeds from Black Twitter during these really painful moments and how we take them and turn them into something that we can laugh at. And it's not coming from a place of like, like I'm trying to sell something. It's coming from a place that is deeply authentic, deeply raw and deeply um, organic, you know? So I think all that to say, like I am interested in organic joy I'm not interested in like commercial packaged joy. And I think that joy means something different actually, depending on our identities too. So there's, I don't, there's a lot in that, but I, I, I worry about that sometimes when I see joy becoming this like mainstream thing, it's like another thing where it's like, oh, but I was talking about like black joy <laughs> as power. <laughs> like. It's like, oh, y'all gonna, y'all gonna, okay, cool. We're gonna package that. We're gonna take that too. All right, that's fine. We're still gonna have it. Like, it'll just feel commercial. It's different. Like, a lot of things I look at in the world are, it's very difficult for me because of my lived experience to not look at things with a lens for race and power and privilege and all those dynamics. So even with joy, even with like happiness, I think like this desire to be happy, it's like, I think I equate that with like the American dream is like we're in the pursuit of happiness like it's like I don't know I don't know if this is a podcast and so no one will see my gestures yeah, right no one now, will see your like, rosy riveter arm like, yeah like, the ceiling gesture. <laughs> I don't know I just I, like I'm doing like a leave it to beaver type move like yep. we're all happy like I think of that like I think of it's like the it's kind of like the uh the white picket fence yeah is that, is that what yeah. you're thinking of yeah yeah that kind, kind of, of like image that. of americana happiness Feels like happiness and now it's like no we don't want happy we want joy <laughs> like it's like i'm like no I don't to know. yeah to extrapolate on your idea if you know if i start to think about that more for me in that lens of joy is potentially for by poc whereas happiness is for white people i start to think of happiness more as ignorance and mm. joy is kind of like living in a truth mm. and mm -hmm. soaking up what's around us, but still finding joy yeah. in the system, yeah. in a world where there's so much oppression. And, you know, for anyone to listen to this and think, and it just still boggles my mind that people still don't think racism is institutional or systematic. We know it is. 
And so maybe, maybe that's it, you know, where it's like happy because happiness to me seems like a child, a child mm-hmm. will be happy mm-hmm. when you're six years old and or however age, and you're at a birthday party and you don't give a care in the world. Cause you're literally just running around popping balloons. Mm-hmm. Whereas joy seems maybe to me, as you like, as you talk about, I can see that where joy is maybe more of a, I've had to like deal with joy. Like I've had to mm. wrestle with it and come out in the mm. other end and, and there's my joy. Mm. Um, it's not something that's as easily attainable. Yeah. Something like joy that's kind is, of worked for. Yeah. Joy is something that's born. You know, it's something that is birthed. Like it's birth. It's, yes. Mm-hmm. And happiness is like something that it's something else. I don't, I don't quite know what it is. It just, the word like happy, happy has never felt like, I don't know, just the word it's like, Oh, happy. Like, I don't, I think it just doesn't, it doesn't do it for me. I think happiness or happy has definitely lost, lost its luster. Yeah. Uh, Whether it's happy birthday or happy this, it's just like, I I feel that. And, you know, we connected originally on Instagram because I reached out yeah. And we have a mutual friend. And I was like, hey, you know, Liz Maya. Like, Liz oh, Maya. also, Liz Maya said something about the pandemic. Can I like shout Liz Maya? Out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shout her out. She, she said something that I think of, and she knows this. I think of this all the time in the pandemic. I literally, like, she said it just when we were talking. Liz Maya has all these little gems and isms that she drops. And what she said is about the pandemic, it was like on just commentary, we we're talking about it. And she's like, this is to what you were saying, sharing earlier as well. We have nothing to cling to, but ourselves. That's it. There's like, we have nothing to grasp. We're so used to grasping for other things. And now it's like, oh, okay. Me, myself and I like strip away all those distractions. Like I was going to say, cause the pandemic, when you say it like that, it makes me feel like if someone made you stand in front of a mirror, buck naked. Right. Right. In your house and there's no furniture and you're just standing there's there. There's nothing. Like, you're just staring. Like, and you have to look for an entire you have hour. To That's look. what the pandemic is like. Oh my gosh. It's so deep. There's actually, there's a theater game like that. It's the human mirror. You know, have you done this? No, I, I, all my years in theater, I never did it. Oh, you probably did. It's just like okay. you stand next or across from a partner and you have to make eye contact. And you just, when one person makes a gesture, you mirror it back and it's meant to be like very slow and connected, but it's, the same discomfort that you feel actually, if not more, like it's inevitable when you're making eye contact, every time I've done this exercise, whether it's with adults or with young people or like literally little kids, there's like a giggly discomfort sort of thing that happens where it's like, oh, this feels so intimate being with another person. But I would argue that like the pandemic is to just build off of what you're saying. It's like the pandemic is the human mirror experience of looking at yourself. Like it's like, Ooh, okay. And how you react to it is going to be totally different. It's going to be like, <laughs> like, get, like I'm goofy. I'm goofy as hell. So my reaction is always like, <laughs> like goofy little things, but you know, everyone's reaction in that exercise is really different. It's like, what do you see? How do you feel about it? What What's the shadow too? That's the other thing. You start to notice your shadows and like things that you've been um, tucking away, you know? Yeah. And I think that was the beauty of Peter Pan. There was so much in Peter Pan. You don't want to grow up. We all have our inner child. The shadow is following us. Peter lost his shadow. This, that, and the other. It's deep. It is it's deeper than I thought when I first saw it. I mean, Hook is still yeah, lit. Yeah, so. I'm about to, Hook is so lit. <laughs> Rufio is on dating apps of the Bay. That's a side note. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. That's... I forget his actual name, but he was like, 
on Bumble or something at some point when I was doing How that. does it not work out for him? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's roof. I mean, I think he's probably doing okay, you know? like Does he still have the same hair? Because I- that hair was next level. <laughs> didn't have the same hair <laughs> okay all right like i said that's that's unmistakable like a, yeah. a catamaran red catamaran on your yeah. head um, i think he's around cool dude i've heard i don't know i'm sure i feel like he anyway, well I, in my in my mind's eye i'm like he's got to be a cool dude gotta be gotta be i was thinking that we first connected on instagram oh yeah and sorry. instagram sorry. for me is the social media platform that i'm probably on most other than youtube i really like youtube i think there's a i think it's actually the best mm-hmm. social media And Instagram is such an interesting place because Instagram is where fake happy and fake joy live by the boatload. And with that said, has your, you know, the way you interact with Instagram changed or will it change with your book now coming out? Is there like a a different... Is there a different kind of like persona you want to give off? Because when you first go to someone's Instagram, you're going to look what they have in their bio, what they say about themselves. And then you take that first one to half second glance over their first nine photos that are at the top. And you kind of get a feel. Is this yeah. person curating this? Are they using some Visco filter? Are they not? Are they yeah. in the video? <laughs> Do they show themselves? Do they not show themselves? All these things say stuff. Are they showing you know, images of their Twitter? Is it, you know, so how is that going to evolve? Is it going to evolve now that you are author Alicia English? It's something I've actually thought about a lot because I, it will evolve for a number of reasons. One, author Alicia wants to share more writing. Like that is the whole point. Like I want to write more. So I actually started, excuse me, even before knowing I was going to like really publish this book, just started to shift to sharing more personal pieces and just like little exercises and wanting it to feel like just being a little more vulnerable, which is why I was like, oh yeah, people feel like they kind of have permission to comment on things going on in your life sometimes, but that's because I share things that I think are more personal because I, I appreciate actually when other people do as well. That's something that I really, I like about Instagram actually in particular. So all that to say that I think it will probably feel a little more curated because I want to share more intentionally my writing. So it's more like, um, not that I'm curating myself, but that like the content will be a little more, it, the content itself is more, it's written for a specific, with a specific lens of like, I am intending to share my writing. So I think there'll be more, like I started, I never used to post like, I used to post like pictures of my friends and like, people's so many weddings like people's weddings weddings here weddings there babies here babies there like it was like a lot of my social life and I think I've I've shifted to posting more things that are like about my personal experience in the pandemic one just because I'm not being as social like there's a lot more like me time because it's just me for at least a year and two like again, to that point of just writing what I know, I only am writing at this point in time, things that are really personal and about my experience. So like little, like, um, you know, little posts with like short poems or little like affirmations, like stuff like that. And I hope it always still feels because it's coming from an authentic place. And if I don't feel excited to post something, that's like the only rule. If I'm not like excited about it personally, then I won't post it. Like if it's not coming from a place of of heart, like if it's not coming from a place of purity and just like authenticity, then 
I usually won't share it. Like if it's just like, oh, I'm just, I'm trying to be intentional with everything that I do and present with everything that I do. So just like posting something just to do it is, is not something that I do very often anymore. And therefore I think it'll come across as like feeling more curated, right? But it's really not, it's just with more intent. Do you want to take the time and share your Instagram? If you have a Facebook page, yeah, website and where people can find you, reach out and, you know, most importantly, hopefully get themselves a signed copy of your new, uh, your new book. Yay. Yeah. It's um. so my Instagram is just my name. It's Alicia with a Y we're talking about A-L-Y-S-H-A dot English and everything is in there. My website is aliciaenglish.com. It's, and we're working on it. I mean, I shared in this, like I am working on the operations in my life. <laughs> like, it's also, you know, I work full-time. So like I have a full-time job and I think similar, like I love doing this and it's, it's not yet like the thing that I am doing with a hundred percent of my time. So I feel like this book and a lot of things, joy breaks and all, a lot of things that I do are like on top of, or I'm like squeezing it in after work. And I would love to invite spaciousness for those things to be able to receive more of my energy. That's something that I am really inviting in the future. So not in the future now, the future is now. So I'm inviting that. I am inviting that. Well, thank you so much for hopping on the podcast and thank you. I'll find a way to get a copy of that book. Yay. Thanks for having me. I'll send you one. It was, this is really fun. Okay, cool. <laughs> thank you. Thanks. Thanks again for listening to this episode and be sure to check out Alicia's website at aliciaenglish.com. That's A-L-Y-S-H-A English.com. This is where you can find her book and learn a little bit more about what she's up to. As always, be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and even YouTube at Wi-Fi and Water Podcast. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.